the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. That's the way it should be. See, God rules over the universe. And He threw the stars and planets and orbits into existence, the galaxies, and in this one little bitty galaxy called the Milky Way, he's got this one little planet way down in the middle of it called Earth. And he created us, and he gave us dominion over that little bitty planet. Sort of like a test to see, could we rule and reign with him? He created us how? In his image. And what does he do? He rules and reigns. So he gave us a little test. Planet Earth. And then Jesus, when he was here in Matthew 6, 9, he says, he teaches us how to pray. He says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, and you could finish the rest, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. Now what does it say after that? On earth or in earth? Keep going. Let's see if it says on earth. After this manner pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Verse 10. No, no, 610. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth. Why would he say in earth? But I think that's the correct translation. Because how was man formed? Out of the dust of the earth. And so, we are part of the earth. The only thing that sets us apart from all, the other, all of the other creation is that God Himself breathed the breath of life into us. And we became living creatures. We became not only living creatures, the animals are living, but we had life. And God made us in His image with the kind of life, the Zoe life that He had. So when He says, in earth as it, God's will be done, He means in us. Because who's going to be doing God's will? The animals? The dogs and the cats? No, in earth as it is in heaven. In us. God wants His will but it, to be done. But guess what? Man sinned. And what he said happens if man sins. He shall surely die. And God took that life back out of man. Now his old body, Adam lived 930 years. It still had some charge left in it from that life that was in him. It didn't die immediately, but the life source was taken out and he was kicked out of the garden. And we became mere earthy men. Mere mortals. Mere just part of the earth, guys. And we lost the life that we had enjoyed when He breathed into us. 
So mere earthly men are always seeking purpose outside of God. Because sin entered in, and sin nature became part of our lives. And now we're seeking, well, it ain't so easy anymore, God. You know, I don't really want to love you. I don't think you love me. And maybe I need to go find the fountain of youth and the source of life and the holy grail. I need to find some reason to create why I'm here. And think of something that will allow me to sin and feel good about myself. Y'all didn't expect all this when you came in here tonight, did you? I wrote down some typical cycles of an earthy person. And there's three of them. There's three just general things to kind of get a picture. The first person is just totally rebellious. They're prideful, selfish, self-reliant. They're insistent on doing things their way. And they're just going to do it their way. Because I want you to see, as we talk about these individual lives, you can see patterns threads within the person or within your individual life and things that you should have learned pictures that you can look back and see how you got to where you are and that's what we're doing we're looking at the bible in a long view and we're seeing threads but we can look at individuals lives and their pattern doesn't change much for most people we start out rebellious and prideful and thinking we're going to do everything our way most people and then they do and then the wages of sin hits. Payday comes. And they find themselves at the end of their rope. So many come to that place. Second, you got people, they're kind of fence riders. They got a sense of this conscience that's working in them. And they kind of want to be good people. And they certainly want to put on a good moral front. They might even go to church. So they look good, and they kind of want to act like they care about God, but at the same time, they want to be creeping up to the edge of the cliff of, called sin, looking over into it as close as they can. They want to ride both sides of the fence. They're double-minded. And James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So they have no, none of God's blessing in their life. They're trying to make it happen. And you see people that work hard, and they do some upright and standing things that, you know, it seems like they're a good person. But they're trying to do it all in their own strength. And you don't know what's going on behind the curtain. Sort of like the Wizard of Oz, you know. And then... They're, they're also subject to great condemnation in their life. Because you know the devil, he's tempting them to sin, and when they sin, then he's making them feel bad about it. He's just stringing them along like a puppet. And so life begins to not make sense to these people who are carnal. They're carnal. They, that's just who they are. They, and they're, not, they're trying to do it in their own strength, but they're failing. And that was where I, well... I've been both of those. I've been just all out rebellious and seared my conscience like a hot iron and just did what I wanted to do until I came to the end of my rope. And then I said, well, I'll try to fix that and I'll be a better person. And that didn't work either. And then you got the third kind of person. 
These pe- people have had their feel of the first two kind of people. And they surrender their life to Jesus. And they try to go back to the original purpose for people. They give their heart to Jesus. They want the spirit, the breath of life back into their life. See, that's what... I hate to tell you the end of the book from the beginning, but that's what this is all about. Man fell and lost the power of God and the, the, the strength, the life of God in their bodies. And this whole thing is about getting it back, getting the Holy Spirit into us again. That's the whole meaning of this whole earthly existence is erasing the darkness that the devil brought in and bringing the light back so that people can live. People who've had their fill of the first two surrender to Jesus like the prodigal son. They're tired of the pig pen. They just... They don't even know what they're getting into. They're just reaching out. God, I, I need you. God hears their cries for help. And he saves. God saves. God has mercy. God is waiting. He's the Father waiting on you to come back home. Turn to 1 Peter 1. Once you come back home, You get that life back in you. Because when you ask Jesus into your heart, what happens? He sends His Spirit, crying, Abba, Father. Your Spirit now bears witness with His Spirit that He's a child. you're a child of God. You have been given the life back. And in 1 Peter 1.13, He kind of gives us a clue of how to live our lives. Peter tells them to prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Get ready. Get prepared for some action. This life ain't about sitting on on the Barker lounger. Get ready. And put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Oh, you have precious promises right now. You have the Spirit of God right now. But one day it's going to come, the, the whole package, you're going to see Him face to face. You're going to be like Him. You're going to, have, you're going to shed this mere mortal earthly body and you're going to put on immortality and you're going to be like Him. And you're going to see Him face to face and all the glories of heaven will be yours. When He is Jesus Christ is revealed to the world, so you must not live as... So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, look at your neighbor and say, but now. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Well, holy is a big word. That's a scary word. God, are you serious? But what do you expect God to say? Do you expect God to come down here and say, okay, now I've given you my spirit. My son has shed his blood. All these things have happened. You got the life of God. You're in my image. 
You were created with purpose and destiny, and I've invested everything that I am into you, and now I want you to rise to mediocrity. I want you to come up to just a little bit better than you are, and then we'll say that a boy. That doesn't even sound like God. No, God sets the bar all the way at the top. He says, be holy like I am holy. And you say, well, that's impossible. <laughs> Jesus did it. He lived an entirely sinless life. Okay, so we've already missed the mark. I understand. And I understand that we probably all won't get there in this life. But God still sets the mark up here and he gives you the responsibility of wrestling with the difference. Okay, so this is where you, this is where you are. But come on up. You, you know where the mark is. You know who my spirit is. All you got to do is choose life every day. Today I set before you life and death. Tomorrow I'll set before you life and death. The next day I'll set before you life and death. Walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. You choose life every day. And come on up. Get excited about these things of God. Get ready. What does he say? Prepare your minds for action. This is an exciting life. What can God do through you when you start making good decisions? You know what he can do when, he, when you made bad decisions. This life is going to get better. So he sets the bar at perfection so that we can spend our lives wrestling with the difference and learning to trust his Holy Spirit to bring us to victory. And when I look back, I see myself in all three of those. But hopefully all of us can get to that third one. Which one of you are smart enough to learn from the past? Did y'all watch the movie The Lion King? You remember Simba? Maybe not through any fault of his own. He was kicked out of the pride lands. And he went into the dark place where the, the little hyenas was trying to get him. Right? And then he had to run from them, and he ended up over here with this, this boar and this groundhog thing or something. And they're singing about a kuna matata. Oh, don't worry about it. Life don't mean nothing. Just, just sit back and relax. Kuna matata. And so he spends most of his youth smoking the wacky weed. Kuna matata, man. Like a lot of us. Oh, nothing. My, I wish I had the youth in here right now. They waste so many years. Some of you still may be wasting years. Saying, Akuna Matata, nothing matters. Nothing matters. <laughs> Simba, somewhere along the line, said, You know what? My daddy was the king of beasts, he was the king of the pride lands. And I'm supposed to be king next. And what am I doing? Wasting my life singing a kuna matata. And he's trying to wrestle with why he wasted most of his youth. And I wanted to show you a clip. If you'd turn this light. And it's a short clip, so pay attention quick. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. 
I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Ah! You see? So what are you going to do? So what are you going to do? <laughs> are you going to learn from it? Or are you just going to run from it? That's why we're looking back at these things. We even got to the first part of the message. All this is just leading up to me introducing tonight's message. It's called Learn From It. Part three, learn from it. And I still ain't through recapping. Man sinned against God. This is going to be the quickest 2,000 year of history you've ever heard in your life. You ready? Somebody time me. Man created, uh, man was created, sins against God, darkness developed the earth, God starts over with the great flood, then there's the Tower of Babel, God establishes a covenant with Abraham, the nation of Israel was born through his grandchild to be an example to us in the Bible, they end up in slavery in Egypt, Moses comes and delivers them, and, and slavery in Egypt, we, I didn't make this point last time, but Egypt is typically a type shadow of the world when you see the nation of Israel. And boy, aren't many of us slaves to the world. See, that's where they were for 400 years. God sent somebody to deliver them. The law. He sent the law through Moses. Moses got them to the promised land, couldn't get them across because he was just the law. The law gets you to a place of understanding that you need a Savior. And then Joshua, a type shadow of Jesus, led them across into the promised land. We talked about how they say uh, they had to fight for, for their promises. And we, we know that here on this side of heaven, we will have to fight for the promises of God because there's an adversary down here trying to keep it from us. And I think last week we've ended up, we had talked about that the people uh, went in, they possessed the promised land, they had everything going from it. Uh, they weren't at war where all their enemies were afraid of them. They had de defeated most of them. But then the next generation come along and didn't appreciate it. And then the subsequent generations turned their backs on God. And then God would say, okay, you don't mean your schools. Okay, you don't mean in your public arena. You don't want to pray. You don't want to talk to me. And so God would bow out. Their enemies would overtake them and come back and, and uh, conquer them and haul them off into slavery again. And then they would cry out to God. Somebody would come to their senses and, and repent. Some of us have been through those cycles where we forget especially in the good times, about our God. You know, when things are going good, it's easy for us to begin to think, well, I got this now. I don't need God. We stop praying. It's really, sometimes, I believe, well, this is from the Holy Ghost. I believe some people, maybe not in here, but some people are living a miserable existence because if God blessed them like He wants to, they would forget about Him and He knows it. And God is not afraid to keep you miserable if that's what it takes to keep you right. That was for free. Well, anyway, we left off in the time of Judges. God would send them heroes, so to speak, Samson and Gideon and so forth, and would deliver them when they would get themselves in this trouble. So now we're going to... Uh, well, actually, I think the last thing we said was... Um, we were talking about the people wanted a king. 
there was a priest named Samuel that God was speaking through, and he was sort of the, you know, keeping the people straight. And that's the way God would like to do it. He would like to be the king, and he would like to have priests talk to the people. That's the way it is in God's kingdom. But the people said, well, all the other nations have a king. We want a king. And it hurt God's feelings. You know God's got feelings? You know, some of us just hurt his feelings all the time. All that he has done for us, and, and we're just so quick to turn our backs on him and, and forget about him and have the Holy Spirit living in us and not say a word to him all day long. Just be rude and, and uh, grieve the Holy Spirit in the way we behave sometimes. And God has feelings. Just thought I'd bring that out. But the people asked for a king and they hurt God's feelings. And, and so God looked down there and he said, that's the one they want right there. He's the tallest. He's the best looking. And that's what they're looking for. So let's make him king and let's get them what they asked for. And he gets them a man named Saul. Saul is like, he looks good, but he's a little bitty man on the inside. He won't do what God says. He'll do half of what God says. And partial obedience is not obedience at all. And so all he cares about is looking good in front of the people. And God says, I'll share my glory with no man. And so he finally gets fed up with this king Saul. And he, he rips his kingdom out from underneath him. He says, I'm going to find another king. But he actually lets him stay king, which is kind of strange. But he tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house. This guy tells him where he's at and tells him, go, find, go anoint one of his sons to be king. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse brings in, I think it's like seven brothers, and he brings in his biggest ones, and he leaves little David out back watching the sheep. Surely it isn't David. And so Samuel sings this first guy, and he says, that's him. Samuel's, 1 Samuel 16, 7 in the Bible, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by an outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. And see, that's the funny thing. Some of us who want to serve God say, well, I want to serve God, but the first thing we do is go try to change our appearance. Well, I'm going to go good, look good by helping with this ministry. Or I'm going to go do, do good. And they begin to change all the things on the outside. And they, they worry about appearances and what and they, they try to work their way up the, the ladder like this is a corporate world or something. But no, God looks at the heart. You want to serve God and you want God to trust you? It don't matter if you're out back watching the sheep. God knows because he sees the heart. So David is anointed to be king. Now, David doesn't become king right away. That's another weird thing. I don't really understand why he didn't just slap Saul out the way and put David in. But David ends up uh, killing Goliath, trusting God for great victories. He becomes a great general for the, for the uh, Israelites. But uh, King Saul, who's being tormented by the devil now, he... Uh, wants to kill young David because he's jealous and he knows that David has something that he doesn't have and it's the Spirit of God. And so he begins to chase David all throughout the countryside and for many years, David has to leave. He has to run even though he's been anointed king and this other guy's king. He could have got easily 
what's the word I'm looking for? Did 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 the he he could have got impatient to say the least. He could have got like this ain't never gonna happen. God, that was when I was a boy. Now I'm I'm in my twenties. Now I'm leading a whole bunch of men and all this. And Saul's still king. Sometimes, like you said, we said Sunday, you got to have some patience. Well, anyways, Saul finally dies, and old David becomes king. And uh, David's not perfect. God didn't call David because he was holy already, because he was perfect already. David made mistakes. But the thing about David was he was always striving to do the right thing. Though he may have got off track sometimes, his flesh may have got the better of him, but he would be quick to repent and get back on track. He wouldn't stay off track. He never ran from God. He always ran to God. And that is a very important thing that you must do as a Christian. I can't tell you how many people I talk to. Well, uh, you know, I got out of church, and now I start, I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor. I just started back to drinking again. Well, why don't you ask God to forgive you, and why don't you come back? No, I haven't messed up this time. But don't people act like God doesn't know if they, didn't, they don't acknowledge it to him themselves. He knows. And so just go running to him. See, David was willing to wrestle with the difference between where he wanted to be and where God told him to be and where he was. He was just a, a simple man who was willing to believe God at the right times and wrestle with the difference. And that's all God asked of us, to wrestle with the difference. God called him a man after his own heart. And he, he put David on the throne finally and, and uh, made him king. And he told David that I will, I will make your throne forever. There will always be one of your descendants on the throne. And if you look way ahead, which we hadn't got to yet, we know that Jesus was a direct descendant of David. Remember, they called him Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. He was, son of, he was a direct descendant of David. And so Jesus is on the throne. Praise God. And he will always be on the throne. So that's another covenant promise that God answered right there. Later in, in David's uh, kingship, he decides he wants to build a house for God. And God says, you know, you know, y'all have kept my little box, my Ark of the Covenant in, in a tent for all this time. I mean, what is a house? What, what man can build me a house? You know, the earth is my footstool. I mean, what can you do for me? But David's like insisting, hey, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. And see, he, he had a heart to do for God. How many of us want to do something for God? Instead of just God always doing something for us. Some of us don't even get to church on time to praise and worship God. Our part of the service to give to God, we just wait for that to be over so God can give to us. That's just so rude. But anyway, David wants to build a house for God. God says, David, you, you've been a man of war. You've been busy your whole life. I'm not going to let you do it, but I'm going to let your son Solomon do it. He's going to be king after you. But you know what David does? He didn't just say, okay, I'm off the hook. You know, I was just offering that anyway. I was hoping he didn't know. He begins to, he donates huge amounts of gold and silver and he buys all kinds of cedar and wood and fine stuff to, to build the house with. By the time his son Solomon gets anointed king, everything's in a pile over here. 
All he has to do is tell them to get to work on it. Man, David said, you won't let me build it, but I'm going to sure gather the stuff. I'll be doing everything I can to honor you, Lord. And so he does. Then his son Solomon becomes king after, you know, probably about two years before his death, and then David dies. And Solomon started out so wonderful. God said, I'll give you anything you ask. And he said, give me wisdom to lead your people. And then uh, he said, because you did not ask for long life or riches, I'll give you wisdom, long life, and riches. And he makes him the most wealthy king ever known to mankind, probably more wealthy than Bill Gates, you know. And he says, the wisest king ever on the earth. And uh, King Solomon comes to a to power in a time where there's no war. His kingdom is blessed. He's got all this time, to, you know, a, a period of peace. He's got all this money. He's got all this wisdom. And, it, and the whole world just recognizes Solomon as that God's hand is upon Solomon. Did you know Solomon wrote three books of the Bible? He wrote the book of Proverbs where he shares the wisdom that God gave him. And so you can read for yourselves firsthand what the wisest man ever to live wrote. Of course, it was from the mouth of God and just about anything in the Bible is wisdom. And then he wrote a book called Song of Solomon, which is basically, it's, it's about a man and a woman in a love story, but what, it's, what it is really showing is a picture of, of us as, as the bride of Christ, the church. In our love story with our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a picture of that. So it's a love story. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a, a, is a book where he's explaining the threads of his life. Because Solomon was so wise. I mean, he wasn't just going to sit around and nothing to do. He's thinking, what's going to fulfill me? What's going to make me so happy? I have everything at my disposal. I'm fixing to find out the, what life is all about. So first thing, he, I, I can't remember the order of things. I hadn't read the book in a while, but I know he went out and he said, I'm going to just heap to me knowledge. And he read every book and he went through every class. And then he ended up and he says, well, it's good, but it's really just vanity of vanities. It's just really just empty. It's like dust in the wind. It's, this is not it. And so he begins to build stuff and he builds great towers and, and cities and, and aqueducts and all these things and monuments to himself thinking that will fulfill me. Vanity of vanities. Then he says, well, you know what? I'm just going to get drunk. I'm just going to have a good time. I'm going to heap unto myself party. And he did. And he partied and partied and partied. And when he was through, he woke up with a hangover and said, this is all vanity of vanities. This is not where it's at. Maybe some of you have tried some of these tactics. Maybe you have said, well, I'm going to party myself to happiness. Or I'm going to build this house, and that's going to make me happy. Or I'm going to get this degree, then people will respect me. Or this. We're trying to fill the space that belongs to God with other things. We become slaves to the world, slaves in Egypt. And to finish the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes down his findings. The man who had all the time in the world on his hands, all the money to do whatever he needed to do, and all the wisdom to do it, this is what he says. Are you ready? 
Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He said, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands. <laughs> For this is everyone's duty. He takes us all the way back to the garden. Love God. Let Him love you. Just do what He says. Adam and Eve knew that from the very beginning. And here the wisest man on the earth. It took him all that, his whole life to come back to this. And you know what's the sad thing? Is at the end of Solomon's life, started out so good, he was drawn away from God. And started worshiping other gods because he had like 700 wives and 400 concubines. And I don't even know what a concubine is, but he had them... <clears throat> The 700 wives part is enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who needs 400 of anything else if you've got 700, 700 wives? His hormones got the best of him, and he's began to marry these women who were serving other gods. And he got unequally yoked, and they drew his heart away from God. Isn't that so sad? Well, after Solomon's death, one of his children became king. This guy wasn't too, too bright. He made people mad, and it caused the kingdom of Israel to split into two kingdoms. It was like a church split happens or something. You know, people just they fight and go to fighting one another, and they said, well, fine, we'll go over here. Sort of like America's happening right now. You're either watching CNN or you're watching Fox News, and you're learning to hate one another. But we better watch out. That's how civil wars start. We better start praying that this division stops right now. But anyway, this, this great nation splits into two. And one of, us, one of us keeps the name of Israel, and the other part keeps the name of Judah. Judah is made up just of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and the other ten tribes are in the thing of Israel. So after Solomon... This, we enter into the, if you're reading it along in the Bible, you'd say 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. It's a, it's a chronicling of all the kings that came after David and after Solomon and after Saul. And guess what? There were 33 bad kings and only five good. And each one of them, you know, some of them only lasted a year or less, but some of them lasted 40, 60, 80 years on the throne. 33 bad kings and only five good ones. Uh, there's a website on, called gotquestions.com describes them like this. They named the king and then they put out an adjective out beside. I didn't know there was this many adjectives for a bad king. But to get a sense of what happened, It's funny, Israel has their own kings, and simultaneously, Judah has their own king. So you got the two nations, and it chronicles all the kings that are going on at the same time, if you're ever reading that book. All of Israel's kings were bad. Not a good one in the whole bunch. Isn't that crazy? The first king, Jeroboam the first, is described as rebellious. The second one, Nadab, Described as bad. Basha was wicked. Elah, evil. Zimri, sinful. Now these are in secession. That means his son followed in his footsteps. 
He was bad. His son was sinful. That ought to tell you something. Tim, Tibni, iniquitous. Omri, extra bad. <laughs> Ahab, you may have heard of him. The worst to this point. Uh, Ahazi, disobedient. Joram and Jehoram, mostly rotten. Jehu, not good, but better than the rest. What is God going to say? What's the adjective that the Bible is going to use about you when your life is over? He's going to say, not good, but better than some. Is that what we're shooting for here? Jehoahaz, non-compliant. Joash, wayward. Jeroboam II, badly behaved. Zechariah, abysmal. <laughs> Shalem, full of vice. Menahem, horrible. Pekahiah, idolatrous. Pekah, awful. Hosea, appalling. Jehoiachin, frightful. And that was just the kings of Israel, not a good one among them. Now, I will say in the kings of Judah, you got Rehoboam, who was just mostly bad. <laughs> Abijah, mostly perverted. But then Asa says, good. Look, his dad was perverted. His dad was perverted. So it tells me it don't matter what happened in your family history, you can break a generational curse. This is a little boy growing up in a kingdom where he can have anything he wants, his heart desires, because he's going to be the next king. And his dad's showing him all the wrong examples. But somehow, God gets to this young man, and he becomes a good king. And in good king, in God's eyes, many followed the Lord. And he tore down the high places and the false worship. Then Jehoshaphat, righteous. Yeah. Way to go, Jehoshaphat. Jehoram and Joram. Uh, terrible. Right back to terrible. So that also tells you your dad could be righteous. And you could come out and God say your life was terrible. What, what's your life going to be? Ahazia, bad. Then there's a queen here that ruled for just a short time. Four years. Uh, Six years. Athelia, she was devilish. Joash and Jehoash, mostly virtuous. Amaziah, mostly wholesome. Uzziah and Azariah, mostly respectable. So we got a little, we got a lot of middle of the road going on here. It's, it's not as bad as some, huh? Jotham, worthy. Ahaz, heinous. Heinous. <laughs> Hezekiah, the best. Wow. Wouldn't you like your name to be on here, the best? Hezekiah. Manasseh, deprived until it, he repented at the end. Amon, treacherous. Josiah, great. Jehoahaz, dreadful. Jehoiakim, a degenerate. Man, what some adjectives. I don't think they used the same one twice. Now, God didn't say that, but this website said that. But, I mean, would that be the way God would describe some of these kings? How will God describe your life? 
We're called to be kings and priests in this earth, in our homes. God's not looking at you any different. He's <laughs> You've been made kings and priests unto your God. What kind of kingship is it going to be? Well, God sends prophets this whole time. When these kings are heinous and unrighteous and all these things, these other adjectives, God is sending prophets to speak to them, to try to turn them from their wicked ways, to warn them about things that are coming down the pike if you don't turn. And God's sending people in your life, I'm sure, as well. Ezekiel 33.11, Ezekiel the prophet says, prophesying for the Lord, says, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. That's God's heart. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Why would you choose sin when you know it's going to lead to death? And other prophets concur. There's Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Micah, Uriah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, Daniel, just to name a few. You know, then we get into the prophets right before the New Testament. Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all, that's all after the book of uh, Psalms and Proverbs and stuff. God kind of breaks it up between the, the judges and stuff and gives us some books of poetry and, and stuff like that. And then we go into the prophets. And most of them are just, you know, it's, it's tough to read because they're, they're trying to plead with a sinful, stiff-necked, rebellious people. And it's, sometimes it's hard to preach because... I'm going to skip that. Because it's time to quit. But You want me to read it? Well, I'll tell you what. We'll read that and then we'll close. You might be right, John. <laughs> this was a little something I threw in here. Maybe it's by the Spirit of the Lord. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 9. Song of Solomon. See, these prophets are not only pleading with these kings and pleading with the people to come back to the Lord, they're also foretelling a future. Prophets foretell the future often. And remember, this Song of Solomon is a love story between God and His people. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. That's a small deer. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Now, if you've ever seen lattice on like a window or something, you can see straight through it, but only what's in front of you. And if you get to the side, you can't see anymore you have to be standing in front of it and this deer is standing behind a wall and he's trying to he's beginning to reveal himself through time he's coming out from behind the wall and into full view 
And that's what prophecy, and that's what end times, it, the time that we live, is. God has given us so much more knowledge. The, the knowledge age that we're living in now, where you can have the Bible on your, your phone app, and you can Google things, and there's so much knowledge being revealed right now. God is co- coming into full view as we begin to look at prophecy through the lens of all the knowledge that we have and how everything has already come to pass. And God is so beautiful that He is revealing Himself through the lattice as we go into time. And the time becomes shorter. The picture becomes clearer as we look through the lattice. And God wants to reveal Himself to us. And He wants you to see a picture of His love. And I was going to read you this beautiful scripture of his love. I'll just say that they they didn't heed the prophets. Jerusalem ended up being burned and the temple destroyed. And that's when Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra came and rebuilt the walls and the temple that we talked about in a previous series. And Esther, a beautiful young Jewish woman, ended up becoming a wife to the king of Babylon and ended up saving the Jewish race. It's a beautiful book in the Bible called Esther. But God has always just had a heart to save. The the threads that we see is that we keep messing up. God keeps pleading with us. God keeps just saying, you know, if you'll come over the hill, I'll bring you the robe back. If you'll come over the hill, I'll put the ring back on your finger. But you've got to come back over the hill. I'm not chasing you down. You gotta come by home. Isaiah 54 says, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. See, this is God's heart. He doesn't want you to live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. We know you had a bad youth. Which one of us didn't? We'll forget that. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. Now see, this is an Old Testament. They couldn't come out and say, Jesus is his name. Because it was Jesus concealed because the devil would have been waiting on him when he got here if it had revealed that much. But we know now, looking back through the lattice, we know who he was talking about. The Lord Jesus. And he's your husband. He's your redeemer. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by your husband, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you. But with great compassion, I will take you back. In a burst of anger, I turn my face away for a little while. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never let the flood cover the earth again, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. For the mountains may move and the hills may disappear, but then, even then my faithful love with, for you will remain. My covenant... See, that's what you got to be in, the covenant. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. See, every example in the Bible is there for us to see it and begin to put the pieces together and it's showing a picture of God's love and mercy and grace. It's showing, sadly, a picture of our need for a Savior. It's so hard to break through this human pride that, I mean, how long will we wear these rose-colored glasses and think we have our lives together and, and continue to be rebellious and be bad kings? 
What will it take for God to, to break through and you come to the end of self and give your heart completely to the Lord? We'll continue. We ain't even got to the New Testament yet. The last prophet was Malachi. After he said his piece in, I think, four chapters, it was 400 years of silence. You know what happened after those 400 years? I'll tell you later. But I was supposed to tell you about what happened when I jumped off that Budweiser stage, right? <laughs> So I jumped off that Budweiser stage, and it was cool while I was down there jamming. Everybody was, ooh, you know. And then I turned around to get back up on the stage, and I realized it's about this high. And I'm, I'm like, how in the world? What have I done? How am I going to get back up on there? And I was in the middle of a song, and I'm acting like I know what I'm doing, and people are like, he can't get back up on the stage. <laughs> Finally, I had to stop playing and set my guitar down and pick myself up and get back up on the stage. Oh. <sighs> trying to play behind my head, behind my back. I was doing a lot of dumb stuff. But you know what? I would like to say that after that day, getting back up on the Budweiser stage, I learned my lesson, but I didn't. It took me a long time after that. And I had to come to the end of myself. I... I was regrettably one of those who would not learn from anybody else. I wouldn't see the big picture. I wouldn't look at the Bible and say, recognize myself. How many of you have heard something tonight that part of you on the inside said, that's me. I'm being rebellious. But then immediately, but, but I'm not bad like that. Or you covered it up saying, no, I'm not listening to that right now. I'm, I'm mostly good. See, we, that's our tendency as human beings. We're justifiers. We're justif we can see everybody else's sin, but we got rose-colored glasses when it comes to our sin. I learned, and I'm learning, that all the glory goes to God. All, all that pride trying to make yourself... Now, I play guitar now, but I try to blend in, and I, let the, I want the music to bless the people, but I don't try to... To put on no Stevie Ray Vaughan faces anymore. If it does, it's natural. It's not me trying to do it, okay? All the glory belongs to God. You know that, that prayer that we started? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How does it end? Amen. Where does the glory belong? Where does it belong forever? With Him. It's, it's all His. Let's get back to the basics. Love Him. Let Him love us. Fear God and do what He says. Keep His commandments. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.